What's going on? Welcome to the new music business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business. Third edition is now out on audiobook and hardcover and ebook and Kindle and however you consume books. Uh, I love audiobooks. And if you can handle my voice for 20 hours, uh, well, I guess if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you're you're not completely repulsed by my voice. You can pick up the audiobook wherever you get audiobooks, Audible, Apple Books. Uh, Spotify has auto audiobooks now, believe it or not. You have to buy them. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> they haven't taken away that revenue stream yet from authors. Um, only musicians. But no, just kidding. We'll get into that. Today is, uh, I don't have a guest. This is a Q&A. Periodically, I do Q&As of your questions. Um, and if you'd like to submit a question, uh, we'll put the link uh, below, but also in the show notes. Also, you're going to want to get on that email list. That's where we kind of ask for people to submit their questions. Uh, just visit aristake.com, get on the email list, and we'll send out new episodes, important information about the new music business, stuff we're doing, all that stuff. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter at aristake. You can find me at aristake on Instagram and Twitter. If you could just pause actually right now and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, give us a thumbs up on YouTube, uh, subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this, follow the show if you'd like more episodes to come in your feed check it out. All right, let's kick into the show. So first question comes from uh, Newton, Newton Pritchett from Chicago. He's a singer-songwriter. All right, who is the first team member a band or artist should look for? And what's the best best approach to finding them? Thinking lawyer, manager, PR, et cetera. All right. So I, uh, I as you know, uh, who those of you who've read the book, I talk about this kind of in the book. It's it's the new team I call it, and I, you know, no emerging artist um, is ready for the traditional team of the manager, the booking agent, the lawyer, the PR, um, you know, the publicist rather. It's uh, what you first want to, the first team members that anyone is going to have are friends, family, people that believe in you. So, uh, you know, this could be your roommate, your best friend, your partner, your parents, whatever, um, that just want to help out. And the thing is, is that like, you know, I would much rather have someone who's passionate about what I'm doing and not be as experienced or as connected than someone who is um, experienced or connected and doesn't give a shit about what I'm doing and they're like doing uh, it for a favor or something like that because that's not who you want on your team. You want people like Music is a passion business, and you need passionate people who believe and are passionate about what you're doing to be on your team. So um, you need to know what needs to get done, or they need to know what needs to get done. Someone on your team needs to know what needs to get done. Uh, That's what my book is all about, what needs to get done. But like, nobody can do it all on their own. You know, DIY, the term DIY, do it yourself, is a misnomer. Nobody ever does it by themselves. That's impossible. But a lot of people don't have the traditional team. You know, I uh, interviewed Theo Katzman on this show. Uh, actually, it was a live episode for my books, book release, book signing. Um, and I just saw him actually uh, the other night at the Wiltern uh, 
2300 cap will turn, by the way, in LA. Uh, 2300, 2300 cap room he played. Uh, he has no record label. He has no manager. Um, no manager. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's, it's hard to believe. And there's not everyone like him. But, uh, you know, of course, he's from the band Wolfpack. And Wolfpack, similarly, doesn't have a manager um, or record label. A lot of bands out there are actually thriving without the traditional team. Now, that's not to say that everybody can do it. I know artists um, who really benefit from managers and booking agents and record labels. Absolutely. But you don't want to look at them as a crutch. You want to look at them as teammates and partners. Now, very few team members, uh, except publicists, and we're going to get to publicists in a second, very few team members, or, or lawyers, and we'll get to them in, in, in two seconds, um, very, very few other traditional team members um, you know, the ones that are essentially working for commission, which is like managers, booking agents, record labels, that kind of stuff, you know, publishing companies, all of that, um, are going to work with emerging artists that don't have um, an income yet. Because if they're working on commission, they're not going to work for free unless they really, 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 really believe that you are the next Radiohead or whatever or Jay-Z. Um but, you know, that's very, very rare. Even if they love what you're doing, like, who? not many people can work for free. Everyone's got to pay their bills, you know? And if, like, they, if they have enough money or they have clients that are paying all their bills and, like, you're their passion project, they're still not going to have that much time for you. So, but that's also an anomaly. That's, that's rare. You have to think about it. This is the music business. And they are only going to be able to work with people, no matter how much they love it, that help their business. And their business is making money from your business. And that then becomes their business. So, like, you know, managers make the, – the typical commission is 15 to 20% of your gross, of all the money that comes in. If you're only bringing in $1,000 a month in your music revenue, or let's even say $2,000 a month – my math isn't that good, but 20% of, of $2,000 is 400 bucks. $400 for the entire month, that's like uh, in the amount that you, they actually have to work to get an emerging artist off the ground is way more than what $400 is going to cover for that, you know? Even if you're at $10,000 a month, which is a significant, that's $120,000 a year, even if you're make, bringing in $10,000 a month... A manager at 20%, that's only $2,000 a month for that manager. Um, so at 20%, um, even $2,000, that's like, that's poverty level. If you're their only client, of course, you're probably not going to be their only client. But like, think about what $2,000 a month of work actually looks like. And it helps you put things into perspective as to why a lot of managers and agents aren't necessarily ready to jump on with you. They need to know what the books look like because, um, you know, and and sure, there are best friends. There are art, uh, managers. There are people that believe so much in what you're doing that they will invest their time right now in not making much money at all in, in because they believe that very soon they will exponentially make so much more money. There is that. But getting back to your question, uh, Newton, uh, find people who are passionate about what you're doing, no matter who they are. 
Those are the first team members. Now, getting to your question about PR, music PR specifically, let's talk about this because things have changed a lot in the last 10 years. And uh, PR works very differently in 2023 than it did in 2013. Let's break this down because there are a lot, there's a lot of confusion out there about what music PR is and if it's worth it anymore. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. All right, so first off, what is PR and why would you want it? So PR, um, it's really just, uh, stands for public relations, PR. Um, It's really, you know, getting media, any media looks for your project. So, you know, traditionally it was like, you know, magazines, newspaper articles, that kind of stuff. Nowadays, it's like blogs, um, publications, podcasts are big, late night TV shows, morning, uh, you know, local news shows, anything like that. Uh, pretty much anything that has to do with with you getting looks in media, uh, that's PR. But really, traditionally, it was earned media. So not, not like advertising, not marketing, not stuff that you pay for that. So it's not like running ads. That doesn't really fall under the umbrella of PR. Running ads is marketing. So marketing, you know, like paid marketing, all within marketing, you know, um, that's like running ads. PR is really supposed to be earned media. And how do you get that? Well, that's the job of a publicist, theoretically. And publicists are the ones that work for the artists. uh, And the business model this is what I struggle with, and this is where I, uh, they haven't, traditional publicists have not updated their model, and they need to, because things work very, very differently now, because what's the point of press anymore for artists? 10 years ago, sure, 10 years ago, if you got uh, a write-up, a premiere in Consequence of Sound or something, that would be, that would, that would generate hundreds of thousands of streams within days, not to mention, and you know, these are hundreds of thousands of people that read that article, jumped on over uh, to their streaming platform or whatever, uh, at the time it was like SoundCloud, and they would stream you. And then if they liked it, they become fans. So that did move the needle. Actually getting written up in, in high profile blogs 10 years ago, that was great. That was how you did it. But now no one's discovering music from blogs anymore. It's just not happening. So what's the point of press? Let's talk about it. Well, um, if somebody discovers your song on a playlist or on TikTok or whatever, sure, they might Google you. And if you got some legitimate press articles showing up, one, it adds legitimacy to you. And like, oh, this is an artist that's on the rise. They're doing stuff. People are talking about them. Okay, that's validation for their new discovery. That's important. That's that's helpful. Um, and then, you know, if they click into it, they can read about you. They can learn more about you. Uh, it helps, you know, tell your story. 
Who are you? Where are you from? They get to know your bio a little bit deeper, um, written by a, a respected publication that they know and, and they respect. And it can also help your SEO if they, you know, the publications, uh, the blogs like link back to your website. That helps your website track higher on Google. Your images will start populating Google. And then, of course, you can post screen grabs from those publications to your Instagram and then, you know, your friends and family and, and your fans, these fans, will be like, oh, wow, they're like getting really good looks. You're getting good looks and they're proud of you. And this is like, it looks really cool. Um, and it can be helpful in that respect. Now, when we talk about is it moving the needle? Well, it's not as measurable as it was before. Now, where I struggle with music PR now is the business model because most publicists charge an arm and a leg for their services whether they're successful or not. So let me just break down the business model of, of PR. You pay a publicist a monthly retainer, a monthly amount uh, for a campaign, and it's no small amount. We're talking this is thousands of dollars, okay? Like most publicists charge between $1,000 and $5,000 a month. And I've worked with publicists on both ends of the spectrum. I've worked with a lot of publicists. So, you know, I'm speaking from experience. And for any of the publicists that are listening right now, uh, don't take this personally. Don't take what I'm saying personally. I know I'm attacking your business model and your business and you're going to get defensive and I, I respect that. But like, you know, I'm keeping it real for artists because that's what I'm looking out for right now. And the publicists that are charging thousands of dollars to emerging independent artists, when they know full well that these artists probably should not be spending their money on PR at that point because it's just they're not going to be successful with it. I don't really support this business model. The business model of paying thousands of dollars a month to publicists, whether they're successful or not, because that's the thing. You're, you're not paying for results with traditional publicists. And there's one caveat we're going to get to in a second. You're not paying for results with traditional publicists. You're paying for their effort, their time, uh, you know, their connections, theoretically. Frankly, I don't give a fuck about effort. Like, I don't care. Do you? Do you care? Like, oh, you worked really, really hard, but you didn't achieve anything you were going to achieve. But you know what? Good job. Here's $20,000. Get the fuck out of here. You know what you can do with $20,000 if you put that towards ads or, you know, uh, tour support or whatever, like, you know, inventory, merch, uh, so many more ways that you could spend your money. Um, if you have money to burn, sure. You know, yeah, that can be helpful. But like, unless... Unless you're an artist, a mid-level artist that is going on tour and you want to, you know, contact all local media and they can help with that, or you are, you have millions, hundreds of millions of streams and, you know, millions of monthly listeners and you have celebrities and superstars that are singing your praises, that's newsworthy. That's something that publicists can leverage into a lot of really, really good press, theoretically, Again, nothing's guaranteed. Um, and then it might be worth hiring a publicist. If you think you're at the level, not not uh, quality-wise, because I know you all think that you're great, and you probably are, but like if you are, um, you know, have hundreds of millions of streams um, and you are going on pretty big tours, then yeah, they could probably help you get on late night shows or whatever. If you're not, like the vast majority of emerging indie artists out there, PR, where you pay somebody for their effort and they don't need to deliver, it's not a good use of your money. 
again, the business model is what I struggle with so much. And, um, you know, because I, I recently worked with a publicist and, and they are a very, very respectable, legitimate uh, publicist for an artist that I'm working with. And their job, as we paid them, you know, a monthly amount, uh, was to find media. And we, we actually sent them a list early on. We're like, hey, these are the public, these are the target outlets that we're looking to get. And, you know, we interviewed a bunch of publicists before we decided to go with this one. And I'm not going to call them out because this is not meant to shame anyone. Um, it's just, uh, I'm just sharing my experience here. And the thing is, is that, um, you know, we sent them a list of target outlets. There was like maybe 15 or 20 on there. We're like, hey, these are the target outlets. These are what we want. They took a look at the list. They're like, yeah, totally, totally reasonable. I think we're going to have great success. I genuinely believe, I genuinely think they 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 believed that. I, I genuinely think they were good people. And, you know, they they really loved the music. They believed in the music. That's what, you know, what, what you want, theoretically. Um, but in the end, uh, after, you know, and it was an album campaign and all of that. Um, and, you know, for an artist that was going to South by. So there's like a lot of stuff that you could theoretically leverage and talk about, especially this album release, you know. Um, and there was some buzzing news with stuff. In the end, they didn't get any of those publications on our list. They got one, <laughs> except the one that they got, they were like, they came to us and like, hey, um, you know, Wonderland is really interested, uh, loves the single, wants to premiere. We're like, sweet, amazing. Wonderland's huge. They got over a million uh, Instagram followers. And like, yeah, they're very reputable and respectable and, and they're fantastic. Uh, amazing. Cool. Thank you. Great. Um, and they're like, yeah, well, it's going to be $500. I'm like, what do you mean? Aren't we paying you thousands of dollars for this PR campaign? They're like, yeah, well... You know, unfortunately, a lot of publications, this is where it's moving these days, is they're paying for inclusion. I'm just like, what? Well, what are we paying you for? If I could just go over there and, you know, <laughs> pay for inclusion, like, so you're like, well, no, I'm not going to, like, our PR budget's maxed. Like, th we, that's what I thought I was paying you, and now you're telling me that Wonderland will write about it if we pay an additional $500? Like, what's going on here? So this business model, you know, in, in, in the end of this, I don't think it was worth it. Now, I've run various PR campaigns over the last few years with various artists of varying degrees, of varying levels, you know, some are bigger, some are smaller, uh, album campaigns, tours, whatever. And by and large, there it's a better use of your money um, to be spending it on ads and, you know, guaranteed stuff that you can guarantee results and success on. Because again, like, we, we're going to, you're going to pay the publicist the exact same amount, whether they get you on the Tonight Show and the cover of Rolling Stone and in every, and, and a 9.3 review on Pitchfork, uh, as if they get you nothing, you pay them the exact same amount. Yeah, they could literally get you nothing. They could get you a bunch of shitty little blogs, uh, which, you know, publicists will do to add a line item to their, their press report and be like, hey, like... We got you all of these, you know, shitty little things. And it's like, okay, well, what does that do for me? Like, I'm not going to post that. It looks really bad. You go to some of these websites. Oh, my God. Some of these websites haven't been updated since 2003. And I was like, what? What? Am I, what why? I'm not going to promote this. This looks really bad for me. This doesn't look good. So I'm not going to promote that. Um, and But they get to add it to their spreadsheet. They're like, see, we did all this work. It's like, well... Yeah, but our target list, the ones that we actually wanted, you didn't get any of. 
even though you said you would, but we're still paying you all the money. So that's like this business model is challenging me. I don't, I don't support it. Now, there is one caveat, and and uh, you know, I wrote about this in the book. Um, you know, over the pandemic, uh, I was I hosted a Clubhouse discussion. Remember Clubhouse? <laughs> um, and it was it was the state of music PR, and I was like, is is uh, music PR worth it? And how does this work? And I had like seven or eight publicists on this discussion. And it was kind of we were a little panel discussion. We we're going around, and um, you know, one publicist, uh, I'll, I'll use his name because um, he's public about this now. Mikel, he's a friend of mine. Mikel uh, Carente, he runs uh, Purple Bite PR. Um, he was, uh, he was basically saying PR needs to change. Uh, you know, writers of these publications are not being paid. That's not, that's immoral. I don't, I think that writers of these publications should get paid. Um, and I don't support the publicist model anymore where he's like, I don't feel good when artists pay me and I can't deliver for them. That doesn't feel right. And he's like, so I've changed our business model where we're paying publications for inclusion. Now, this goes against all uh, traditional, you know, journalistic ethics and standards. And and it was an uproar on the clubhouse thing. Every publicist was like, how dare you? This is against everything we stand for. You know, PR is earned media, not paid. Like, you shouldn't be paying for inclusion. And he's like, well, should you be taking artists' money and not delivering, like that's immoral. And also, should these writers of these publications not get be getting paid? That's also immoral. It's like, you know what? I I agree. Like, I personally, as an artist, I would much rather pay uh, for guaranteed results. So that's what Mikel's model. He, he's at Purple Bite. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to give him a plug because uh, I I support the model. Purplebite.com, uh, I believe, is the website. And it's basically, he's like, here's a list of publications um, that uh, we've worked with in the past. Um, And you pay us, you know, and it's way cheaper than any other PR company, you know, a thousand bucks uh, or something. And we will guarantee you two, at least two write-ups in one of these publications or your money back. Guaranteed. No other publicist is doing that. No one says, like, we're going to guarantee you X, Y, and Z or your money back because they're like, well, no, you're paying us for our time, like, effort. I'm like, again, I love you. Don't care about your effort. I care about results. So, like, if I want one of these publications, you know, I'm very happy to pay for it if I'm going to get it, Um, you know, and there's like, oh, you pay, you know, here's $2,000 for the entire campaign. You're going to get, like, four or five uh, write-ups in one of these publications and looks in these. I'm like, okay, at least I know that I'm going to secure press that I care about, not these bullshit little blogs or whatever, or podcasts that nobody listens to or any of this stuff. Like at that point, you know, it's like a lot of publicists work on, well, quantity, you know, as long as we can fill up the spreadsheet with a bunch of line items of, you know, press and looks that we got you, then like, oh, we did our job. It's like, well, no, like what do artists really care about is like they, they want something they can share on their social media. They're not going to share a review on some disgusting looking website from 2003, even if it says nice things. So, you know, they want something they can share. And uh, this is something that is shareable. So, so this model is really interesting. And the whole industry is moving to that. Even the publicist that I hired uh, that said, you know, that I was paying them a monthly retainer and they brought us the Wonderland bit for 500 bucks. And, 
you know, they're like, unfortunately, a lot of publications are moving to this uh, in this realm. Now, Mikel will tell you with Purple Byte, you know, um, all the publications have editorial discretion. So it's not like you can just pay and they'll write about you. It's you can pay or no. And and this is not SubmitHub either. SubmitHub is a different uh, model. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, what this is, is like, these are legitimate publications. We're talking, you know, um, I, I should pull up the list, but um, I mean, we're talking uh, pretty substantial publications, um, Flaunt and, and Wonderland. Um, and uh, I should I should pull up this this list here. Um, you know, um, uh, Mundane and Grimy Goods and, and uh, yeah, Flaunt and Ear Milk, um, Consequence of Sound. Um, you know, paper, vice, pitchfork, rolling stone. Now, not all of these, just to be clear, not all of these are pay placement for inclusion, but some of them are, and some of them have moved to this model. Um, what what they're doing is saying, we have worked with all these publications. Some of them charge us for inclusion if they want to write about it. Some of them don't. Uh, we're gonna work your uh, you know, the campaign, the single or whatever it is. And if we get one of these, whether they're paying us or not, then uh, then we check it off and, and you know, money well spent. If we don't get one of these, uh, we give your money back. And, you know, I appreciate that. I, w- I will much rather pay for results, knowing that I am going to get one of these legit publications, even if it's only two or three. I'd rather get two or three really, really good ones than 15 shitty little bullshit ones that I can't share. Uh, and like, you know, so the state of music PR, where we're at right now, like, is it worth it anymore? Well, it depends on your goals and intentions. It really depends on what level of your career, you're at at your career and what you want. And, you know, like I said, for emerging, independent emerging artists that are not on a big tour, that don't have hundreds of millions of streams, that don't uh, have celebrities or superstars talking about them, saying like, you know, that stuff that they can like blow up um, with that. It's not worth it, really. Um, You know, if you want a few press articles, uh, you know, you can try Purple Bites program and you know you're going to get something. But like to hire a publicist at two, three thousand dollars a month for like a four month campaign or whatever, and you're spending like twelve thousand dollars on this, like spend that money elsewhere. That is way too much money for any independent artist to be spending on PR uh, when it's not worth it. Now, once you get nominated for a Grammy, hell yeah, get that hire that expensive publicist. They will walk you down the red carpet. They will, you know, send out these these press releases and these media alerts talking about, you know, your whole thing. But like, you know, until then, invest your money elsewhere, uh, you know, or or try uh, Purple Bites program if you want guaranteed results. Um, you know, I mentioned SubmitHub. SubmitHub's very, very different. Um, they have tiny blogs on there. And that's the thing. Like, if you just want to populate Google, like if you just want a bunch of um, write-ups in something, then use SubmitHub. Because basically what you do is you only pay a few bucks per uh, blog per editor per per writer uh, to to review your song and similarly if they like it they'll write about it and if they don't they won't you're not paying them for inclusion on SubmitHub you're paying them to listen um, for review um, and you know it's a little different model but if that's if that's your goal if all you want to do is just populate Google with like you know um, um, 
websites that will link back to your website or like, you know, you can get some little reviews here and there and you can populate your socials and stuff like that. So Meetup's totally fine for that. That is cheap. You know, you can spend maybe a hundred bucks and get like 10, 15 publications right up. Instead of spending, um, you know, $10,000 or whatever on a publicist that might return literally the same stuff. Because yes, I do know some publicists are using Submit Hub, and of course, some publicists are paying for inclusion, or they're making their artists pay for that inclusion, which I also, you know, don't support. All right, rant over. This episode is brought to you by Bandzoogle. This is how you should be creating your website. I've made many websites on Bandzoogle for years, long before they were paying me to tell you about it. I told everyone about it because it's super, super easy. Don't mess around with web developers. Let me tell you. The most frustrating people on planet Earth are web developers. No offense to my brother, who is a web developer. He's amazing. He was the one who originally built Ari'sTake.com. You're awesome, Mika. Hey, what up? Okay. Uh, but they're frustrating. They're always overworked. They take on too many projects. They're always getting sniped by startups that will pay them way more than any independent musician can pay them. So you should not be messing around with web developers. Stop paying web developers. Seriously. You know this by now if you have been hiring web developers for your website. You can't get a hold of them. You can't afford them. And they are just, the turnaround times are way too long. So, Banzoogle. This is how you can build a website. It's super easy. They also have a built-in store, commission-free. You can sell music. You can sell downloads, PDFs. Whatever you want to sell, it's all commission-free. They have a crowdfunding service. This is new. That's also commission-free. They also have a subscription service on there if you want to kind of start your own fan club and have subscribers, fans, patrons, whatever you want to call them, commission-free. This is all at banzoogle.com. You can get a 30-day free trial if you use the code ARI. That's my name. And you also get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Go to banzoogle.com. Use the promo code ARI. That's just spelled A-R-I for 15% off the first year of any subscription. This question comes from um, Dallin Johnson from Berkeley, California, and he says, what made the best music attorney you've worked with the best music attorney you've worked with? Okay, so great question, um, Dallin, and I don't like most attorneys, unfortunately. Some of them are are fine people. Uh, It's just I despise their business model. Again, it's like, I want to pay for results. I don't like paying for effort. And I definitely, it's just like, you know, they charge by the hour and everything is billable. Like, uh, you send them a text. Oh, yeah, you're on the fucking clock. All right. Like (laughs) uh, an email. Oh, watch out. They could say they spent two hours reading that email and, and getting back to you. You get on a call. Oh, my God, do lawyers like to talk. They can go on and on and on and on and on and on. Guess what? I'm paying for that shit. They love hearing themselves talk and they pay for it. So like lawyers... Unfortunately, they're a necessary evil in this world uh, because of how our whole system is set up. And lawyers, man, are they hard, uh, this business model. But you know what? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, they're needed when you draft contracts. And they're needed, uh, you know, we have AI hasn't completely wiped out the contract drafting just yet. But by God, I hope it wipes them out very soon. Um, you know, it's like... 
the way that system's set up, these the the contract, it's all this this uh, this circle jerk, excuse my language, of just we're gonna write complicated contracts for us, our complicated, expensive lawyers that only they can understand them and read them. And, you know, all these lawyers are patting themselves on the back and like, oh, you know, we're gonna this comma should be over here, and that changes the entire meaning. Boom, $50. Oh, well, you know, let's what if we change this sentence syntax and we put this over here? And oh, but you could be, let's think about it, you know, in 17 years from now, this this could come back to bite us in the ass. So we should spend another three thousand dollars deliberating this with the other attorneys and back and forth and back and forth. And it's honestly, it's just a uh, I don't want to have been vulgar enough. This this contest, it is just a a uh, it is just a um, a flex match back and forth, um, and I can't stand it. Frankly, I I I can't stand lawyers that uh, just flex to flex and waste their clients' money and show them, oh look, you know, I'm going to get you the best. And they're not getting you the best deal. They're they're making them the best deal. They're making the most money for them. So I, yes, I've hired many lawyers in my day. What is, what is uh, some of that made the best music attorney? Well, the ones that were very generous with uh, their time. And I didn't say generous. That's a, that is a, that is far too generous of a word for them. <laughs> uh, the attorneys that are good are the ones that, um, you know, will offer up information without charging me for it every single time and honestly i've fired lawyers that have done that and i've been so pissed off (laughs) from like you know they're like oh let's hop on a call you know to talk about it and not on the clock you know i just want to outline what this the services would be if you decide to engage it was like okay cool and then i was on a call with them and i was like okay so if we decide to go down this route like you know um how is this going to go and how long do you think it's going to take what do you think the success rate like have you had you know success in the past and like you know how does this typically work and and they're like, well, I'd have to be on the clock to answer that question. I'm just like, all right, call over, never mind, peace, never going to speak to you again. Um, I can't stand those kinds of attorneys. Now, granted, this is their business model. They're making their bed, they're laying in it. Uh, I don't like the business model. But the best attorneys are the ones that are not always putting you on the clock. And you know they are looking for relationship building and realize, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna shave off a good amount of time um, and and be be generous with um, my knowledge base because I believe in the long term it's gonna all work out and pay out. You know, um, it, that's like if I was you know people ask me DM me questions all the time or whatever and like I look at the like yeah I consult too I charge a thousand dollars an hour when I'm consulting people um, not musicians I I don't do that it's, it's big companies that can afford that. Um, but, uh, you know, that's my rate. What am I going to charge someone and be like, oh, well, it took me um, 17 minutes to answer this DM. And so that's going to cost you $400. I'm going to send you a bill. Like, come on. Like, no. You know, so lawyers, uh, they frustrate me. Uh, I would say before hiring any lawyer, you want to do a preliminary interview. All of them will do one. Um, and you want to make sure that, um, you know, do the gut check. Does it feel okay? Are they, uh, generous with their, uh, information that they're sharing with you or are they holding it back to make, wait until you're on the clock? Cause that's 
nonsense. Um, do you? Do they seem like they are only in it for the money? Do they genuinely believe in what you're doing? And if so, um, are they willing to work for you know a commission of the deals that they're going to get you or something like that? Or are they like, all right, let's get you on a retainer right now and, and send over two thousand dollars to start that retainer? And then it's like, all right, yeah, maybe that's not the right time. So lawyers, uh, again. Unfortunately, yes, you need to engage them when you're doing contract negotiations and stuff like that um, for this and that. Uh, I, it's unfortunate, you know, God forbid you get into any litigation and you need to like retain counsel for that. That's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, it's it's like it's it's set up for the rich. It, it really honestly uh, discourages um, in, in our, our legal system, our whole justice system is, is set up. Uh, to support the rich. And if you can't afford a good lawyer in any capacity, we're not going to even get into the other <laughs> aspects of the discussion, then you're fucked. And that's just how it goes. Like, it, so, you know, uh, I'm sorry, that that was a little aggressive uh, uh, for the attorneys that are listening to this. But for the attorneys that are listening to this, maybe do better. Maybe maybe don't try to shake down emerging artists uh, and artists in general and really put yourself in their shoes and be like, yeah, I know you have a business model you need to eat, but can you get more creative with your business model? Do you believe in the clients you're taking on? Like, sure, charge big companies a lot of money in your full rate, but like when it comes to artists, like come up with a better model because like the model right now is just, it's not, it's not feasible. And Soon enough, AI might take your job. So I would encourage all attorneys to get a little bit more creative, especially when you're working with artists, to really help them out. Like, why are you why are you an entertainment attorney? Is it just for the money? Because you know, be a tax attorney or go be whatever. But if why if you're in entertainment and you're uh, if you're in entertainment and you're specifically working with artists and musicians, then you really should. Uh, you're gonna have to have more compassion, and you're gonna hopefully change your business model. Um, yeah. All right. Next question. This comes from Solera. Uh, Solera Slays. Great name from Jersey. Jersey. Uh, when you sign with a music library or sync agent, do they own your master's? This one's a quick and easy one. Um, by and large, no, they do not own your master's. Uh, sync agents, the business model of sync agents, and for those of you that don't know what sync agents are, uh, sync agents are the ones that are kind of the intermediaries between the artist and the music supervisors uh, who get your songs, place your songs on TV shows and movies and trailers and video games and, and commercials and that kind of stuff. Sync agents are kind of these, they call them one-stop shops, one-stops, meaning they've cleared all the rights. Uh, and when music supervisors work with sync agents, um, they know that all the rights are cleared. And so sync agents, their business model is they take a commission. I've seen anywhere from 20 to 50% commission. If any sync agent is asking for more than 50%, don't work with them. Um, and they don't own your masters. No, it's usually, a, it's a, it's a, they've cleared the rights. It's a term. They usually, you know, a term for a couple of years. Uh, they have the right, most likely exclusively, to pitch your music to get synced uh, on TV and whatnot. Um, but no, after the term finishes, you can now work with anyone else and they don't get anything. Uh, they don't own anything. Uh, music libraries typically work the same way. However, some of them, you got to be careful. 
um, because, well, some of them have like staff producers and composers and stuff like that. And some of them do want you to uh, work for hire, meaning you send in compositions or recordings. Uh, they pay you for that. Um, and then they want all the rights and they want to own that. So you're going to have to decide for yourself as, if that's uh, the kind of um, uh, model that works for you. If you don't care and you, if you're a composer and you can just kind of pump out, you know, music, sync music all day, um, then uh, maybe that's fine. That being said, that brings us to another question, um, which, uh, where did this one go? Somebody asked about, um, well, I don't remember where this one is, but the question was about, um, is AI going to kind of replace, um, replace artists and, and, uh, how worried should we be about AI and, and kind of, um, replacing songwriters and producers, um, and stuff like that is, oh, oh, this came from, um, uh, let me see, Divi, and Divi is from, uh, in India, Divi the Audio Nomad, and he's like, do you think AI-generated music poses a risk for artists looking to make it in sync? Wouldn't music directors rather generate original music for next to no cost rather than paying, uh, yeah, $10,000 in licensing fees and, and et cetera? Um, yeah, that's a that's a great point. So what I see um, AI doing, I, I do think AI is going to take the place of music library music uh, very soon if it's not already doing it. Um, AI music when it's like, very, well, I should say, um, currently what a lot of TV shows do is they have a budget for the episode and they, um, they use that budget uh, mostly for kind of the established songs or artists or or like, you know, the songs that are more featured in the episode. And then they, uh, remaining little bit of budget, it's for all the kind of auxiliary music. So when you're in a, in a bar and there's like some music playing in the very, very background and you like can't really hear what the song is or music, it doesn't really matter, you can't really tell, but you know, you need something there just to set the ambiance. That's that's a lot of times um, from a library or, you know, even some like simple scored stuff for padded music or so, like ambient music um, just for the ambiance, really. Uh, the way that that music supervisors have been turning to libraries for this stuff where they can license a song or, or a piece of music for, you know, a few hundred bucks. Uh, yeah, I bet they will start using AI-generated music for that. That being said, I I think we're a long ways away from music that is going to be as emotionally effective um, generated from AI. Yes, I've heard, you know, I've heard the Eminem sample that Diplo or whomever did and, and like, you know, uh, it wasn't Diplo, it was uh, someone else. But, um, you know, I've heard the, I've heard what, um, AI is capable of doing and it's impressive and it's getting there but it it is not to the point where it is making emotionally effective music yet hopefully not ever <laughs> um but maybe um and I I think that like we're a long ways away from that now uh sync music absolutely I think that's almost here if not here right now uh will it create a pop hit probably but like come on 
pop music. It's like, it's my favorite game right now. When I listen to like the pop charts, I'm like, yeah, that could have been generated by AI. That's pretty copy and paste. Or like, you know, even listening, like there is some music that we hear is like, oh, that's sync music. You know, it's like, yeah, anything that, that, uh, it, it might it might take the place of music that just feels disingenuous or or shallow, um, you know. And yeah, I think the artists that write to briefs right now and that are kind of the sync artists that are making a living writing to briefs, that might be, um, yeah, that they they might get the jobs replaced pretty quickly uh, because honestly, a robot might be able to do that a little bit better uh, or or cheaper, I should say. Um, and we all know the music we're talking about. You listen to songs like, all right, that sounds like a sync song or, or whatever. So um, AI is coming. And I would encourage every artist to, uh, you know, you don't want to work against AI. You want to work with it. Uh, it's already here. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, except to live in a, you know, uh, a cabin in the woods off the grid or whatever. But um you know, hopefully it doesn't destroy us anytime soon. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the music industry. Um, but uh, I, I think we're a long ways away uh, from it completely taking over um, and taking artists and songwriters jobs or producers jobs. All right. Cool. We're going to call it there. There's going to be another part. Uh, this this went longer. I didn't get to as many questions as I want. I wanted that long uh, rant uh, at the beginning. But uh, stick around. Part two is coming very soon or part five or six or I've lost track of how many parts we've done of the QA Q and A's. Um, but you're going to do a bunch more. And again, if you'd like to submit your own questions, um, you can do it. There's a link in the show notes, but also, um, get on the email list at ariestake.com. All right. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com